This is SideQuest Completed, the Hobbyist Game Dead podcast with your hosts Calvin and JC, coming to you every Wednesday with encouragement and advice on making your game a reality. Alright, so hello and welcome to SideQuest Completed, your podcast for news, advice, comfort um, for hobby India devs. I am JC, here with my co-host Calvin. Hi there! Yeah, um... First episode in May? Yep. Is this the first time we're recording in May? Meh. Ish. Isn't there a Jonathan Colton song about May? There is. It is not appropriate. It is not appropriate for, for this, this podcast. Ven- for this venue. At <laughs> least not this episode. So, you can Google that on your own time. We will not be recording at this podcast. Not until Side Quest After Dark. Yes. So, I guess I'd be like, Side, side Quest. Side Quest Romance Arc. Well, there's... Uh, yeah, it's a good song though. Yeah. Anyway, so um, how was the conference that you, uh, the remote conference you were enjoying over the weekend? Oh, it was a blast. I wasn't going in expecting anything game related, but there were plenty of engrossing takeaways. I can imagine. I mean, there was one about the intersection of the Chinese written language and Morse code. I could totally see someone turning into some other kind of uh, papers, please kind of game and there's one with a very interesting little game dev hack i'm desperate to share i wish i remember the speaker's name we'll have to put in the notes but they talked about how they and their team actually at microsoft had ended up using midi controllers like keyboards and mixers and whatnot to adjust the settings the variables in their game engine their prototype game engine in real time Interesting. Yeah. So, what was specific about MIDI controllers to that, like that you couldn't do with the keyboard? Yeah. Um, was there a reason why that was was done other than the novelty? In this case, they use, I believe, it was the Nano something two. I forget the exact name. It would be in the notes. But I think I would know this. I bought one after the talk. Uh, but it has various turn dials and those linear dials ones you see on soundboards for increasing and decreasing. And uh, okay. Yeah. That kind of tactical so feedback. Literal, yeah. literal knobs to to tweak while they're playing. Yes. That's really interesting. Yeah. I've got to check that out. I think I saw a couple of people mention the talk. I remember mentions of MIDI. I'm just thinking <laughs> keyboards and not really thinking of the other implications seeing reference. So yeah, that sounds really cool. I gotta check that out. Because it is the kind of tactical feedback, not tactical Tactile feedback seems really underappreciated in game dev. The speaker made the very good point. We have a cognitive bias towards roundish numbers. So 5 or 5.5 and not 4.7281. That was actually the crunchiest and most enjoyable, say, velocity for the main character. We're also getting way off topic by the introduction. Uh, Setup stuff. Whoops. Yeah. So, well, I go into our usual, more regular segments, uh, what we've been up to uh, reading, watching, playing lately. Sure. Um, well, I have a thing to, to get right off the bat. I finished uh, The Last Emperor, the last of the uh, inter- interdependency books from John Scalzi. And, um, oh, I was kind of disappointed. I mean, it's not bad or a ending that didn't make sense or anything I can really disagree with. 
but just kind of not a very um, rewarding ending. Which, ah, kind of sucks for the end of a trilogy. Um, I think it's kind of written into a corner in some ways, but um, without giving any spoilers, um, it's just a little, little. Whenever you have all of society, all of civilization collapsing, it's hard to make like the internal politics of the actual of the main plot really be uh, like uh, a bigger threat. Yeah. yeah, like um, you know that's that was like the main story. The backdrop of society across all of the galaxy is collapsing. Kind of makes you feel like oh, maybe there's more important things to focus on. Yeah, so, so. somehow appropriate to our times, but still depressing Ugh. to read because it's too close to reality. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. Um, aside from that, enjoying lots of Netflix, and um, I'm going to get back into a new book this week. I'm not sure what I'm going to pick up next, but I've got a bunch of things um, already loaded up in a stack on my bedside table, so I'm going to pick up something at random tonight. Ooh. So. Nice. Kind of in this place where um, there's not really anything I want to watch, and there's nothing new coming out right now, and um, I'm going to... So, sort of struggling to find just some, some stuff to kick back and watch right now. That's actually offers an interesting reflection on our peculiar times. I know most everyone going in expected they'd get through all of their catalog really fast. But even then, we're still deferring on a lot of things we had in our backlog. Their archives, bookshelves, and mm -hmm. big thought, maybe just get rid of that. Take it off of your to-watch list. Give away the book if you can. Otherwise, if you're not mm -hmm. watching it when you have literally nothing else to do, well, practically nothing else to do, then you're probably not going to get around to it when you're busy again. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not so much it, for me. It's uh, like there's a lot of stuff that's ending season wise. Yeah. Uh, you know, like this is all happening. This was all happening right before like summer season is hitting. And so a lot of shows are about to go off air anyway yeah. for the summer. Um, I was pretty caught up on all the stuff I was streaming. So it'd be like the Nishira season will drop Friday. That'll Ooh. give us something to watch for for that weekend. And then that'll be done. I'm excited. Seasons are like. 10, 10 episodes is a long streaming season, pretty much, so you don't really get much longevity out of any of them. Yeah. As far as filling up your time. Yep. I guess I can talk about stuff I actually am watching reading. Um, I've just got Martha Wells' the latest book in the Murderbot series in the mail today, and it's, I think it's literally bigger than the rest of the books in the series combined. Maybe half I've of heard the good show. things. Yeah, I am super, I am stoked to get it, but it seems I saw remember that it was about to be out. So very excited to start that one. I was almost I made actually apologies to you, Calvin. I made you wait a couple minutes so I could get to a save point in Void Bastards. Because I started playing that. Oh that's about that's what you ago. were doing. Okay. Yeah. Oh to be fair, I was waiting for your, for you to get back for our schedule our unusual recording time. And then I started playing and then you got back to me. So Well Oh, hope it was a good, <laughs> enjoyable time. It was very tempting so, uh, to put off the podcast recording. It is like it hits a lot of my roguelike buttons. I've been playing a bit of uh, Scrap Mechanics uh, Survival Mode dropped over the weekend. Nice. My son is a huge fan, and it's one of those things that I'm playing because he wants me to play and then to talk about the game. So I may pick it up so we can play together. Um, I never was really into the. It's weird. It's a they built the sandbox mode first, and that's been available to buy for full price for years. Whoa. 
and they only just now have the survival, like actual, what you think of an actual game mode. Um, so it's a little rough in that it seems like they expect everybody already knows how to play because mm. most of the people already do. Um, but I've got I've got Galen to tell me what to do and give me some tips. But it's an interesting perspective to jump into that that new mode, having never really played it before. Nice. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm actually hoping to get back into Risk of Rain 2 because my girlfriend was able to assemble a new gaming PC. So we have two in the house from leftover parts and we could actually play it together without ah. breaking somebody's laptop. Yeah. Um, also playing a little bit more Animal Crossing. That's an interesting one because it's... I feel like I've largely accomplished what I wanted to in the game. I'm still enjoying the little day-to-day cycle, knocking a little bit of stuff out when it's chill, staying up a little late to wish on stars, but otherwise just relaxing into it. And that's been kind of nice. It takes a lot of pressure off it. I've actually got a whole bunch of Animal Crossing... Uh, RFID cards of my own from back when was it home? The home game was out. Mm-hmm. So I gotta find them though. Only be able to find one packet. Yeah, but that's what we've been playing, watching, reading. I actually want to revisit Void Bastards as it relates to today's topic. Uh, what is today's topic? And today's topic is self promotion. Yeah. Which, um, I also have some stuff to talk about for that, and it's completely coincidental that it lines up just perfect but i'm gonna let you um mention how you can take the fact that i had to wait an extra 20 (laughs) minutes and make it relevant to today's episode you were doing research five minutes but yes so well sure there's a whole story behind my playing uh, void bastards i saw it a while ago i think back before it came out looks very interesting reminded me a lot of the marathon durandal series um marathon series that i really enjoyed growing up and uh, then it fell off my radar. And somebody didn't think about it because there was so much else to play. And then what should happen, but someone I follow on Mastodon uh, slash Fediverse uh, for reasons wholly unrelated to this mentioned that, by the way, I helped make this game called Void Bastards. And I go, whoa, oh, and it's on sale. And then I bought it. And started playing it. So I had the chance. Do? Yep. And I've been thoroughly pleased with the experience, and that's because someone was posting on social media about it in a relevant way. Yeah. Yeah, definitely um, that whole repeat... How, what is it supposed to be? Seven times you're supposed to see something repeated before you'll... you'll before it sticks? You know, yeah, before you'll, you'll buy it or do the call to action, whatever it, that happens to be for the particular thing. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot about that in terms of... Um, Devlogs is something Ooh, that yeah. I get a lot of my games from, or a lot of my game uh, interest from. Uh, I love seeing people's progress over time, and it's a natural thing throughout the course of development. And that comes in a lot of forms. You know, there's the GIFs people post uh, on on Twitter, even are yeah. a very minor form of those. There's the TIG source devlogs. There's a growing number of uh, YouTube devlogs that, Ooh, yeah. that people do a lot of, and I'm starting to really like subscribe to basically as many. Um, people doing those for for especially solo indie projects which works best for that medium and yesterday i published my own for the first time um, which was something i was planning on doing for this project um whenever i start this uh the current game which is last of the mushrooms last stand of the mushrooms um i wanted to use it as an avenue for trying this out myself so i had been recording a few sessions of development I uh, wrote up a devlog at the end of the week for what I had, you know, recapping everything I worked on. 
um, and I put together a little video and put it up and, and posted that around as well as I I both I also use the same text for you know like my take source devlog and um, so I can use the same material different places um, and I'm gonna keep doing that every week and see if it kind of builds up which is how how those kind of go and I'll see if that whole repeat thing works for for me because it gives me a chance for creating that repeating content oh very nice and this is one weakness in my game dev experience is that I tend to under share when it comes to game dev even have a reminder mm-hmm. on my calendar a recurring to do to post on the screenshot Saturday hashtag and then get around to it. Uh, even though I've been doing stuff that would be visually interesting, the animations and such. But yeah, it's like DevLobs sound like a really good way for indie hobbyist devs to celebrate their work, find people that are deeply interested, and help bring them on your emotional, interpersonal journey of making that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do I do bad at the consistency of, of things rather than the the frequency more than anything. Um, I did do screenshot Saturdays consistently for uh, Seed Magic, and so I kind of thought, all right, I'm keeping a good pace at at making some updates. Um, the fact that I'm making this like a weekly thing, which lines up with my sprints, means that it's kind of uh, integrated with my working schedule for the game. Um, and it's Sundays when I'll post them, so I'll have to build in free time for putting it together at the end of the week. So hopefully that helps me stay on track. Um, and hopefully it also, one thing I like is if you're just talking about putting out constant material for keeping your in the mind, keeping your game in the the front of people's minds, if you're just trying to do it from a truly like promotional point of view, not from a developer point of view. It's hard to always have content. Yeah. You could work for weeks and not have anything visually that you can show off. Really, you know, like it might be um, that you're doing a lot of stuff under the hood, or you're working on code more than assets, and you don't really have new things you can show that are really engaging. Whereas devlogs are great because you can always show whatever it is you're doing because it is inherently including every aspect of the building, and you can and you're talking about it, not just showing. Uh, a few screenshots or a couple small GIF clips. So it gives you a lot wider net for being able to make sure you actually have something to share. Exactly. One thing I really enjoyed about uh, Christine Love's upcoming game, Get in the Car, a Loser, has been following her social media post on the development of the game. And she doesn't always have screenshots, like if she's been refactoring code under the hood where things should not look any different. She still mentions it in passing. And it can be very interesting, especially to learn more about what goes into making a good game or even making game work at all. Yeah, so that's one thing. You make a good point. You don't have to stick to exactly one medium. You don't have to just post screenshots. You can also write up what your programming experience was like, post media, post new gameplay, um, whatever you do, uh, whatever you like doing, as long as you don't try and do all the things all the time. Very important, especially as a hobby indie game dev, to pace yourself with that and find a sustainable rhythm. If you're trying to do two hours of devlogs every day on top of a mm-hmm. full-time job, you're going to burn out. And But a little bit, a small post, say every other day, or even just like, a, hey, I did this one thing, toot, or today was a bad day. Um... I appreciate something defective. Today was a bad day. 
I remember the sad thing. Uh, looking forward to doing more tomorrow. We'll still keep you in people's minds and build a little rapport with all these folks who are who are only following following you on social media because they're already interested in what you have. Yeah, that's that's one thing I'm hoping to build up is that uh, you know I have like a lot of followers on a couple of Twitter accounts, but not really. Like I gotta sort of curate cur- curate that following for to people who are interested in following for that game content, you know, cause I've talked about different things over the years and the, the people that maybe follow me are not all interested in that game. stuff, so I can't really gauge, like I have X number of followers on Twitter. Does that mean that if I post up a, when my game launches that I'll get, you know, some percentage of that number interested you know, just because they're already following. And, and the answer is no, because a lot of them might not care about the, the games I'm making. Yeah. Because that's not why they followed me in the first place. So one advantage of this is uh, to try to curate that uh, attention uh, from existing followers and new ones uh, for the specific thing that, that I need. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing I like about YouTube I, is that it gives you those multiple channels, and you can put one kind of content in one channel, another kind of content in the other. And people will see what they want to see mm-hmm. and find more of it. Unless you wish that Twitter and Facebook weren't so focused on you having the one presence. One reason I like Mastodon and Fediverse, the activity pub, different services, is that it's much easier to make multiple profiles and manage multiple profiles um, for different purposes. So like I have my, I had my Mastodon.social account I don't really use anymore. It's a general one. Have a more personal one and then a still more like poop to do one for just whatever, I'm being silly, without having to quote unquote pollute my primary account with silly nonsense and i've also created another one for anthotari i haven't set it up yet but hopefully have that readier to go by the time calvin links to it in the show notes but yeah this account there just for this one game i i find managing multiple accounts has not been too difficult yeah. on on twitter um Switching between accounts on the mobile app is pretty straightforward, and I use their uh, TweetDeck client for when I'm on, on the PC. Um, I switch. I maintain about three main accounts, um, aside from like bots and stuff. My mm-hmm. my normal account that everybody knows is Iron Froggy, um, a secret account that I keep for junk, and um, my Stonebird account that I've had for about as long as I've had the Iron Froggy account. Um, but it used to be a Python promotion mm-hmm. account, so it was, it was always like software related. Um, and I, I tend to be able to switch between them uh, pretty well. But I do struggle with um, a sort of identity question about it. Like, uh-huh. am I creating my games as myself or as a you know, quote unquote studio label that you know create like that? There tends to be some name you create under um, just to have a logo on the front of the game, maybe. But then that brings up those identity questions of am am I promoting or is this imaginary entity promoting and do i want to build up an audience of people interested in me versus my games yeah Um, you know there's 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 different strategies and there's not a right answer um and people and the audiences they have will react differently to things like if you build up an audience of people interested in your games and then you talk about politics, will that go well or bad? There's a lot of game developers that I follow personally, um, first because I like their games, but I also enjoy just them as people. Yeah. You know, I know there's a lot, I, I hate, I do hate the, um, 
the trend people have of, you know, oh, that's not what I'm following you for. Stop talking about that. Well, but yeah, at the same nice. time, I I do want people to be able to follow my game stuff. Um, and I also will always have wider interests since by definition of this podcast, this is a side thing, yeah. you know? So I, this also has a different equation than somebody who is doing this as their full-time job or, you know, as any developer who is um, doing it as their primary thing rather than um, a hobbyist or um, secondary activity. So that changes some of the, um, some of the, the, the measures for how to balance that, I think. Yeah, certainly. Ooh, you get your breath. Yeah, I guess it's very important to be deliberate about it one way or another. That's one thing a lot of indie authors struggle with is what goes under their main name, if anything. What goes under their pen name? What goes under their other pen name? It's very, very common for authors to have a different pen name for their uh, racier content, their more adult uh, mm-hmm. content, and a different pen name for the sci-fi stuff versus their fantasy stuff versus their literary stuff whatever keeps people from getting confused yeah i don't think i see a lot of that with the in the game dev space but then it tends to be large groups of people so it's not surprising they would do multiple different things yeah i i, I thought of taking like when i made up the the name stonebird which is what i do my my games under as a sort of studio name i stonebird games i it was the idea was that it was sort of a, like I said, like a studio label. And maybe I'd even, you know, I could collaborate with that in the future if, if I was found people to do that with, without it being I guess, bound to a specific person but as my name. But now I'm also realizing it could work as an alternative online identity, the same way I have my Iron Froggy nickname, which is the name that's been attached to all of my developer and Python work over the years. I could use this other name as sort of an alternate identity uh, to encapsulate all of the game specific stuff um i'm not sure which makes more sense and and if it is weird or a good idea to kind of have alter egos for different purposes mm-hmm. but i think i kind of like the idea and i'm not sure i might kind of give it a try or it might just be a way of thinking about these sort of different online personas we have when we're promoting different aspects of what we're doing yeah so that's basically a good point definitely audit your posting the very if you're going to have multiple channels audit your use of that and if you're finding yourself really flagging a one maybe stop using it entirely or make a plan to post to it regularly the last thing you want to do is spread yourself too thinly across different channels and lose efficacy mm-hmm. in any of them for example i don't use twitter and facebook for various reasons but knowing myself and how infrequently i post in general the last thing you want to do is to try to post to twitter and Facebook, and Instagram, and Pinterest, and local newspaper, and sidewalk chalk, and get basically no mileage out of them because I was spread too thin. So I know in my case, I need to keep it a little more narrow. I probably should make some Fediverse account for my, well, doing business as name for Biggest Robot Productions. But yeah, keep it only as large as you find useful. And this is a place where metrics certainly matter as well. You may want to actually track your followers. I would advise against worrying too much about your followers in a personal account because that starts gamifying your life in weird ways that can be unhealthy. But it makes a lot more sense in the context of a pro- uh, professional or semi-professional account where 
those numbers turn into actual dollars when it comes to a sale. So that's something important lines to divide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also at the beginning, it can be really difficult to follow um, the metrics. You want to be gathering some information, but um, there's a, a, a run-up period where mm, yeah. you don't have enough engagement for any of the interaction to be meaningful in terms of trends. You know, individual people uh, following you or watching a video that you put up on YouTube don't don't really show the effectiveness as a as a as a whole. Right. And you don't. It, it will take some time to build up of audience large enough where there's actually a trend to watch. Yeah. You know, I put up my the, that first devlog video onto a Stonebird YouTube account that I haven't used in three years. So I may have gotten a couple dozen views from people I shared it to directly in, in various channels, but that is not meaningful in terms of an audience engagement metric because um, it, it's just too small of a number. Um, it was not you know, organic as, as uh, the, the phrasing might be. So you also need to kind of put in the work without that feedback for a while. And there's some persistence and patience that is necessary to get there. Right. Your ability to produce without external validation is incredibly important and an essential barometer. If you're doing it just for the attention that can lead to unhealthy behavior and inhibits your ability to give it its uh, true artistic due. With the caveat that external feedback, purposeful external feedback is also important. Mm -hmm. something else. Yeah, but again, like statistics, it's really important to understand if you're going to be looking at metrics and basing action on them, to have an understanding, a real understanding of statistics. Because 100% gain doesn't mean anything. That means you went from two viewers to four viewers. If you go from 1,000 to 2,000, that suggests something meaningful happened. So... As you say, Calvin, you need that lead-up time until you've got a, a statistically significant number of people from which you can get reasonable uh, inferences, like enough followers that these are actual trends, not just random fluctuation. Right. So another source of uh, another source you can use for the the information to guide how you do this sort of self-promotion is. You don't want to copy what you see other developers doing, but you definitely need to learn from them. Yeah. Uh, different different patterns and different ways of presenting yourself are going to work for different people um, and for different gaming communities. Um, but there are so many great self-promoting indie developers, either just from a business perspective or because they love talking about the games and the making of the games. Um, and one thing that I've been trying to do is curate a, a, a collection of the developers i'm following both for my interest in just seeing other people's progress and also as people to learn from because yeah. they just do that so well it's part of why i started the devlog video series when i did because i've been watching more of these and it has been uh you know kind of got kind of got inspired to, to do that i just you know i love the other developers i'm following and as a matter of fact one thing i'd like to do is to um showcase a sort of indie developer of the week um, on the show so that we can start talking about, um, you know, both talk about, hey, here's somebody who's done some great work. Here's somebody you can learn from. And also this is something I'm, uh, that someone I've been watching and the, the games they make are great. Yeah. Um, and this week, as part of, of this, I wanted to point out a developer on YouTube who goes by DevDuck, 
who is making a kind of um, crafty adventure um, save a corrupted island. He's uh, making a game inspired by um, um, ocean biology or being a uh, like ocean biologist, Ooh. which is which is a really interesting um, angle to come from. But his videos are, are super well made. Like it's it's really interesting. He does the whole, the whole thing sort of. Um, not just about the game, but he sort of does it all as like a day in the life sort of um, arc, you know. Yeah. So when he's they're very well produced, um, and it's just very enjoyable to watch. It's a really nice guy with um, you know who enjoys talking about this stuff. Um, so I will include a link in the the, the notes. Um, I recommend anybody who likes devlogs or games to check it out, and I hope that I will keep having another. Uh, developer to plug each week. I think that'd be a great thing for us to do. Oh yeah. Um, and I will send a note to these developers as well whenever we do this, and maybe start making some connections there, um, as well as the interviewers or interviewees that we have. Start to get a little bit of a network because you know these are people who are doing the thing we're trying to make a podcast about doing. Yeah, you can learn from them. And not all, not all these are the side guys. There's, there's some, some I will probably include that um, are in this for the the full time long haul. Oh yeah, but. There's a lot in common, so it, you know that's not entirely off topic, of course. That's the thing, too. Very important point. If you want to graduate from, quote unquote, graduate from hobby game dev to indie game dev to full time game dev, you're going to have to learn self promotion and marketing. If you want mm-hmm. to stick with hobby, stick with it for personal fulfillment, won't matter nearly as much, if at all. But that's a choice you need to make to decide either. This is going to be a personal passion project. I'll speak about sometimes when I feel like it versus something I want to put out there proactively in a way that um, feeds back into development and brings money into my pocket that lets me do more game dev to the exclusion of other work. And one resource I want to, a very powerful resource that has a lot of material to provide would be Seth Godin. G-O-D-I-N. Mm-hmm. His whole thing is marketing. He's been doing it for like longer than I've been alive, probably. And has been had a handle on it since before the internet was cool. Never mind the web. And he has a lot to say about that and is always producing more stuff. Check out his Akimbo podcast most recently. Other stuff. Uh, Purple Cow comes to mind. I can't remember if I read that one or not, but classic work but definitely check out by Seth Godin yeah I'll, I'll look to, to some of his work I know I've read at least one of his books before but I don't remember which one it was some time ago and I used to follow his blog uh, back when people still use blogs he still uses um, it yeah so yeah fantastic fantastic recommendation um, definitely second that um, is there anything else um, any other focus or or on self-promotion or, or question about it that you think we should cover or answer before we move on to maybe some uh, what have we been doing and what have we what are we planning for the next week? Oh, certainly. Uh, we talked a lot about big numbers. It's also important to talk about small numbers. There's the article, classic article out there about a thousand true fans. You'll have to Google for that. But also mm-hmm. even a few good or great fans can make a big difference. I know that I found some of my best beta readers out of a small number of people uh, back in the Patreon. Um, a lot of the Patreon money comes from like one high tier backer. Uh, bless their hearts. And uh, 
that makes a, a small difference because that's a persistent kind of attachment and investment that pays uh, not just fiscal dividends but emotional uh, interpersonal mm-hmm. dividends that can be used of incredible value so definitely make sure you're giving uh, due attention to the really invested folks who value your work much as you do as the vaguely interested folks who are looking through the window yeah, I definitely have a few people that I can kind of always count on for the the thumbs up and the oh yeah, keep it going, um, which which is really is really good. Um, those those people are invaluable to um, keeping going, especially early on oh, yeah. when you are trying to sort of build up the sort of audiences you see other developers have. You know, because you you kind of model after these people who've already been doing it for long enough that you're making unfair comparisons to yourself because um, you don't know you don't really know how long it's taken other developers who are good at self-promotion to build up the kind of um, engaging audiences that they have usually years so it can be yes so it can be really easy to kind of feel like you're you're doing something wrong or you're just not uh, hitting the right notes uh, to get people engaged um, so having the people to make it feel worth it make it feel uh, like you are providing some interesting, uh, interesting information and interesting stories that people are wanting to follow. It's really, really important. Oh yeah. Like, go ahead. Yeah. That reminds me of something that is a great lesson to take away from indie authors and professional authors is that nothing sells your first book like your second book, and nothing sells interesting. Yeah. So you want people to get interested in your one game, make another game. doesn't have to be a sequel or continuation, but that helps. And many times people will find large sales or interest in their older games because people got interested in their later games or want to see what else they've done. So that's a very important thing there. I mean, you'll get a little more mileage for every... As you build up an audience of fans, every game you put out, you're, you'll get a bit more mileage out of each fan that you bring on because they'll be able to sample more of your work uh, before they run out right. uh, and have something else to that you've, that you've put out. That's, that's, um, that's important to remember. I've never thought of it like that. Um, my brain uh, is a bad brain, and so the first thing it thinks is, that means the first thing I put out has to be as good as the second thing. Otherwise, they'll be let down when they go from number two to number one. Right. Nope. Excuse me. Sorry. But yeah, that's so important is that um, nothing sells your older stuff is better as having more stuff to play. I mean, Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure people bought the originals. I don't think that they needed... They didn't necessarily need Final Fantasy X to sell copies of Final Fantasy VI. But I see your point. And I can definitely think of a lot of um, both authors and game developers and filmmakers as well who I've stumbled on one thing they make and then dig into a back catalog. Um, That's definitely um, a a pattern that I'm surprised I hadn't really noticed as a a cohesive single thing before. Yep, let's mention having more stuff available for sale is more stuff you can sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it does also bring up some of the issues of um, we've talked about before, like do you build, you know, sort of do you focus on a, a, a niche of games as you release things or make a lot of different things? Um, 
because then how similar in either theme or genre or uh, aesthetic your games are are going to affect how somebody finding your library from your most recent game are going to react to your your previous ones you know mm-hmm. so if you put out like um if you put out a um a bullet reaction puzzle today and then they go to your backlog and they find a um morbid rpg and a text adventure in space maybe that you know they'll absolutely have no interest in those because they're so different yeah um so when unfortunately you may need to think about sort of yourself curating your your games and you're creating a library as you move from project to project um i definitely have a lot of very diverse and different games that i'm making and i don't have a lot of similarity between them and so that is a challenge that i have um i have some smaller things that i'm actually thinking of taking down or maybe moving sort of from my game studio label to my personal itch page as a separation of let's curate this library of this is the things i want people to find in one set that makes sense yeah i'm also using the word curate a lot in this episode for some reason like curation is so important in this age of super available information and super mm-hmm. research like we have a glut of games so many people have a countless games in a seen library that they haven't touched most of if you want to make the game that people mm-hmm. get around to playing it's going to require some marketing skill some advertising skill. And if that's something, a direction you want to go into, listener, that's something to pay a lot of mind to. Yeah. But I think it's uh, anything else you want to touch on right quick. Oh, uh, promotion wise, we've got to remember conventions, especially now that so many of them are online only right now. That's online promotion. Um, stuff along those lines, other online events. Get on places like Discords where, if it's appropriate, mention and promote your game. Game jams can be a good space for that. Just make sure. Yeah, for example, you-, you could join the SideQuest Completed Discord. Ah, yeah. And we would be glad to hear about your games. That would be entirely on topic. Yeah, there are a lot of avenues uh, that we talked about before that we will link to in the show notes today. Uh, we talked a lot about sharing on social media and, and places where devlogs are appropriate. We didn't intend this to be a devlog um, episode, but it's been a big part of it. Yeah. Um, or, or things similar to it, you know, the kind of on, ongoing updates that you give. Um, but there's a lot of other avenues um, building up the personal connections with other developers or with your, your players. You know, if you have um, a large enough audience, having your own discord is yeah. also really common. Um so there are a lot of ways to engage that audience and keep them interested in not just your work, but yourself, which is um, part of, of being um, someone who creates anything these days. Uh, but honestly, it's always been, you know, we, we kind of treat that like it's a new thing. You have to do this, all this extra legwork for interacting with the fans online these days. But people of creative natures have always been personalities of, in their own right uh, that their fans were were interested in yeah. and that there was some level of engagement that engagement is just shaped differently and through a different medium today i mean perfect example i already mentioned get in the car loser which is a jrpg and not a visual novel like christine loves other works but i'm still stoked to play it because i've enjoyed her works the kind of ephemeral personality stuff behind it i expect to have a mm-hmm. similar satisfying experience with whatever she tries putting out 
Yeah, another point too is that we talked about sales, promotion, whatnot. If you feel like your game has an important message, be it political, social, personal, whatnot, that needs to be out there, that's all the more reason to promote it. Not just for money, if even if it's free, and you think people really need to play it, then that's all the more reason to, like I said, uh, get it out there, make sure people are playing it. It doesn't have to be just for profit. Yeah, um, and that that hooks into our episode from from last week. Yeah. Uh, why do you make games? You know that that will inform a lot of how you're promoting. It'll also inspire your promotion because while you're doing it, can do a lot for you know putting putting some some kick in your pants for doing all this legwork, which can um, which can be tedious, it can be tiring, and it can take a while for it to feel like it's paying off. So remembering why, you know, having good reasons for doing that, whether that's for a good cause, for a, a personal uh, goal, um, for a dream that you're trying to fulfill, whatever the reason that you are making that particular game or games yeah. in general, those reasons inform the avenues that work best and the uh, the reward internally that you are feeding off of until external rewards uh, come along if ever because many people it continues to be that that hobby nature and you always need that internal reward for why you're you're putting all this time into into these projects yeah conversely it's sometimes if you're feeling really low uh, a little burned out or just tired of working on it because of other reasons having someone come up and say hey i really loved your game and i can get you right back on track or inspire you to do something newer and better so Having a kind mm-hmm. of social support that's built through promotion can really pay dividends, not just monetary ones, but again, like very personal dividends. Yeah. Like I'm making friends out of promoting my Anthro Tower game, so win win. And heck, this podcast came out of us like wanting to yeah. or about our own games, and that's been a huge thing, so case in point. We haven't done a lot of that to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it definitely comes up, obviously, but we have done remarkably little self-promotion through this podcast. Right. Yeah. That's um, I, delivery. So, yeah. And, but speaking of our yeah. own games, uh, what have you done this last week on Anthrotari? Or if you're working on anything else on the side, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Glad to share. So I've been hitting my daily goal, 15 minutes on animations and such. Today is going to be the day I bumped that up to 25 minutes because it's been going a little too slow. And there's a little bit of like inertia to starting and closing deadline that I need to bump up and get a little more flow time. Like using that, I've got back enough into the flow, into the groove that I can bump up that time limit without stressing myself out, stressing myself out rather. And on top of that, I... I've been working more with the what I'm calling Sweet Turnips as a uh, Predo game setup. Different from a toolkit, different from a game engine. It's designed to be the essence of a game playable by itself that is then developed into a more complete game in a specific context. I hmm. got the little simulator that came out of the Bitter Jam game jam. Hence, so it started as Bitter Turnips and Sweet Turnips being the more core thing. And I was pleasantly surprised when two, two and a half hours of effort was enough to take the uh, simulation-specific code, copy it over and changed, and prove a concept for the bare bones of a shop 
uh, shop, uh, shoot 'em up. It's a incredibly different genres, but because the scope was so small and the creative constraints were so hard, I ate sprites by eight sprites, no moving between just only those eight sixty-four squares. That made it a lot easier to prototype something in a very short time frame, focus on gameplay. So I look forward to realizing that as a simple but playable shoot 'em up game, and then moving on to the next genre to see how much common code I can extract and see how much I can drill down to the most essential genre-specific code so that when I add another one, it's easier and easier. When it comes time for a game jam, I can leap right into it with a ready-to-go game, and so do others. So you're, this is sort of semi-engine, semi-template um, for, for new games. I, right. I'm doing a similar thing where I, with the, the Python games that I'm writing right now where um, I, I've kind of mapped out a lot of different types of games, and I'm working my way through the games on my backlog that touch different feature sets that I would need to implement and work into the system, contribute back to the engine, Ooh. or cut into libraries. And so over time, I'm building up uh, this this starting point that I can use for conceivably any game within the realm of, of the uh, the platform and, and the engine that I'm that I'm using. Uh, there's certain things within last stands of last end of the mushrooms that are explicitly things that I didn't need to do for seed magic. And so the intent is have an avenue for find the things that aren't in it that I can add and, and reuse later. Um, so nice. yeah um, so I guess I'm kinda of doing a similar thing with that, but it's part of my normal um, route of of games i'm working my way through very awesome hey um anything else on the game different or yeah um well i i got a lot done over the last week um and like i've said i put that up on that devlog i'll have a link to my um first devlog video um in the the show notes i got a lot done basically i took the seed magic game that released in april i stripped out all of the art assets and the entity classes that were specific to that game until I had an empty shell with all of the, the pieces that were left over and could be conceivably reused. And over the last week, I've dropped in a bunch of assets from the first time I tried to make this game a couple of years ago, because Last Stand of the Mushrooms is another remake. Mm. Um, and I built up the the core game loop and, and prototype reusing a lot of pieces from that. Uh, it's a tower defense game about mushrooms um, defending themselves against it's, uh, mushrooms who have invaded Earth in the 11th century, <laughs> who were fought back by the Vikings and are now making their last stand to not be eradicated before they can escape the Earth. Yeah. And uh, I got that core loop put uh, um, built up. I, I got a lot of things done in it. And I put together the, the devlog. Um, I was able to reuse a lot of the, the systems in the previous game. So like uh, they earned spores to spend on new units and on upgrades. And I repurposed the score counter and Ooh. scoreboard from the previous game to, to do that. Um, I have opportunity to fine tweak the tech system I built in the first one because I need more fine control in this game. Um, I built up the first inklings of a UI layer, which I didn't need for the first game. So that's something that mm -hmm. this game will add to my template for future games that Seed Magic didn't. Nice. Um, and in the the next week, I should continue to have the same kind of forward progress in the, the next 
week is going to be things like uh, right now I can plant new mushrooms, but I can't do the upgrades and you know sort of grow them in power. Um, I'll be doing that as well as proper waves of incoming enemies like tower defenses would typically have. Um, so health bars and other kind of indicators, that's the sort of thing they'll go into the next week and we'll begin the next uh, devlog update. Well, very cool. It reminds me, it's a good lesson is reusing assets and code and such isn't cheating. It's just being efficient. It's upcycling. Yeah. Um, if if you are, I mean, it's also impossible not to do it in some oh, ways. Yeah. If you if you try to run everything from, if you try to start over from scratch, thinking, oh, I'm going to start with a clean slate, you're going to have in mind all the things you did and you're going to, to find those patterns. This is just a, a, a more direct way of, of refining that. And I also yeah. really like the way that um, I could keep working on seed magic and say, how maybe I, what can I add next? What can I, you know, I could just keep refining it, building it into a bigger game. Uh, but saying, okay, I stop here and I copy it and I make a new game gives me a, a mental um, arena within which I can tear it apart, yeah. uh, trash systems that I've built and, and rework them. Um, you will work much more gradually within one game as you, even when you do rework and refactor. So, Pulling that code into a new project gives you a place where you have the the freedom um, to to make major changes that you wouldn't within that same code within the same project. Exactly. Cool. So, yeah, guess, listeners, thank you very much for giving us here for a little bit this week. Always glad to have you, and look forward to seeing you next time on SideQuest Completed. It's been a great conversation. I uh, look forward to it next week. Indeed. Bop, bop. Thank you for listening to the SideQuest Completed Podcast. If you aren't subscribed, find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or at our website, sidequestcompleted.com, where you can find all our episodes and an invite link to our new Discord server.